0: Welcome to the Joan Shorenstein Center on the Press, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. For more on events, news, and research, visit us at ShorensteinCenter.org.
1: I'm Alex Jones. I'm director of the Shorenstein Center on the Press, Politics, and Public Policy. It's my great pleasure uh, today to... Uh, Welcome our guest, Maggie Haberman, who has been uh, covering politics for Politico for how long now?
2: Three and a half years. Three and a half years.
1: Politico, as you know, has emerged as the probably go-to place uh, online for finding out all of the deepest, darkest, and uh, murkiest uh, <laughs> secrets about uh, politics. Before that, she worked at the New York Daily News, the New York Post, which are also full of murky... Those different know. type of murky <laughs> and dark. <right? laughs> um, but essentially, she's been covering politics for virtually her whole career. And uh, today, she's going to be talking about something that I think is of enormous interest to me, certainly, and I suspect to many of you, which is the... which is what the... Elections and there were, you know, these are sort of like by elections of 2013. What they had to say about 2014 and 2016, especially when you add in the factors of one, the government shutdown, and now the Obamacare meltdown. So, uh, if you can sort all this out and, uh, and be, and be uh, <laughs> accurately predictive, uh, you know, please, I want to be, I want to be the accurately, accurately
2: retrospective uh, before anything else. Um, thank you very much for having me. Um, I. Uh, I think that there are, there, there, you know, there were three elections that we just, three major ones that just happened, uh, one in New York City where Bill de Blasio became mayor with uh, one of the greatest margins of win um, in recent memory, and, and he became I think the first Democratic nominee to win white voters in 30 years. Um, uh, you had Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, uh, and you had uh, Chris Christie in New Jersey, which I covered uh, more closely than I covered the Virginia race, but obviously a great deal has been written about uh, Virginia. And so I think that the, the three um, the three narratives, the, the three pieces of conventional wisdom that are emerging, um, and they're not totally foolproof, but one is this idea that the de Blasio uh, win spells a, a more liberal uh, tilt in the electorate at large and certainly in, in politics in New York City. Um, on that one, I mean, I think that de Blasio won a primary, and he I think there is no question that the Democratic voters in New York City have become more liberal. It's important to remember what a tiny section of the electorate voted in this primary. Um, so I don't know how predictive it is of what the city will be like. I also don't know, frankly, how predictive it is of what de Blasio will govern as. This idea that he is going to usher in this new era of progressivism in New York City has been written about a great deal, and I don't, I don't think it's true um, necessarily. I also don't think that it... I don't think that it can. It speaks about a larger theme, either for 2014 necessarily, or as we all like to focus on a lot, on Hillary Clinton and what would happen in a 2016 Democratic primary. Um, the other is Terry McAuliffe's win, um, where you know the idea is that it shows that a um, hard right candidate can't win, and that's what you hear from GOP elites over and over again, and donors. Um, <coughs> If you're looking at that race versus the Christie race, and the argument for Christie is that Christie showed that you absolutely can, you know, you can win in a blue state and this is how you do it, um, there were unique factors at play in the Christie race. that There's no question that what he did was impressive, but at the end of the day his numbers went up after a storm and they never came back down substantially. Um, and he was embraced by the President. Um, you know, that made it very hard for a Democrat to run against him. Um, so he he certainly had impressive numbers um, across the demographic spectrum, but I think to suggest that this there is a larger lesson to, that can be learned or applied elsewhere in the Republican Party, which is what he is very much going to argue um, next year as the RGA chairman and as a very likely presidential candidate I think is um, is hard to see. Um, it's not It's not as if his messaging. Was so tailored or so careful. I mean, he he ran a very cali- carefully calibrated campaign toward the center in many respects. Um, but I don't think that this is something that you can see used more broadly. And the same, the flip side of that is the Cuccinelli, who had very conservative opinions, had many chances to modulate his message and chose not to at every 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 step. Um, conservatives, instead of feeling looking at that and saying, look, this shows that we can't win, which has been very much what the national Republicans are saying, are looking at it and saying, this shows, that look how close we came. We were within three points. Um, and if money had been spent in this race, um, we, we could have done well. One of the things that I think doesn't get enough attention, at the very end of the race, and there, there are a lot of similarities. And, Peter, you know this much better than I do, but there are a lot of similarities to um, to 2012. It was almost like the press corps didn't quite learn the lesson of 2012, which was that um, these polls that were showing these outsized gaps and massive fluctuations were silly, these public polls. Um, The McAuliffe campaign, to their credit, were saying the entire time to reporters, these polls are not right, Um, the race is much closer than these are all showing, No reporter, um, including myself and including my colleagues, believe them, and uh, so what happened was that on election night when you had this sort of nail-biting, or or appearance of nail-biting close count between McAuliffe and uh, 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 Cuccinelli, um, there was this, you know, oh my God, how did he, you know, Terry McAuliffe almost lost. He didn't almost lose. Um, He got, he got what McAuliffe pollster Jeff Garen described as a bump, and I think he was right, I mean other polls showed this as well, from the government shutdown and, um, and then his numbers came back down to where they were and you know, some Republicans went back to Cuccinelli um, and so I think that the, you, instead of seeing sort of a, 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 a dispirited Tea Party, you're seeing a more reinvigorated Tea Party and you're seeing a dispirited Wall Street and dispirited donor class that can't quite figure out what to do uh, next, and um, I think that there. I think that the Republican Party. The, the story still remains after the 2013 elections. Uh, there is absolutely um, disagreement on the left, and there is no question that Obamacare is. I think that Obamacare has now completely overtaken. Uh, the shutdown, at least in the short term, and in terms of the, the media effect. If there's another shutdown, then that will not be the case, um, But uh, and there might be. But uh, but Obamacare is, is what a lot of the next year is going to hinge on in the races for uh, the House, which I think very few Democrats will tell you that they think they have any chance of, or the Senate, where um, uh, the map is tough for Democrats, and yet they had been feeling better up until now. Um, and so I think that you know if if the numbers improve substantially, and what we've seen is that you know there was a pretty, really good LA Times story about this today that the state-based exchanges actually all are doing as they should be in terms of enrollment. It's the it's the states where um, uh, it's been rejected uh, to do it themselves, and they're using the federal website. It's not working. So if the federal website starts to improve and enrollment numbers go up, uh, it becomes less of an issue. And in six months, it will become less of an issue. But I do think. Um, I think that the credibility hit that the president has taken is um, is hard to ignore, and I think that it is, uh, and it is bearing out in in early polling. If it continues into next year, I mean, what he had going for him last year, amid you know being being helped by a pretty bad opponent, um, but for for the unemployment rate, for everything that went wrong with the president, his his likability, and the the feeling that he was you know sort of understood people like you these were important metrics um, and he did well on them his numbers were the right way that is not the case now Uh, at least today that's not the case Um, and so I think that um, the predictive value of what we saw this year is actually going to be pretty limited and just bringing it back to de Blasio for a second um, because in New York City we think it's all about us Um, but I think that I think that the the degree to which Bloomberg was not only not a Republican but was a total anomaly gets very overlooked in the in the discussion about what he meant to New York City. He was he was a statistical anomaly in every sense, um, and uh, he was a very liberal mayor, um, and that sort of gets overlooked. So liberal that in fact in two thousand one. When he got the endorsement of then-Governor George Pataki, a Republican, Bloomberg described himself as a liberal standing there, and you could watch Pataki's face kind of fall. Um, so, you know, I don't um, – de Blasio is, is a political tactician at the end of the day, and I don't think that you are going to see – and, and frankly, very much of New York City's fate is not in its control. Um, it's Andrew Cuomo who gets to make a lot of decisions. It's the legislature that gets to make a lot of decisions. So. I think for predictive value on what that means for the Democratic Party, um, where I don't think you're going to see a ton of primaries going into 2014, but obviously the bigger issue would be 2016 um, and the subject of income inequality, which, you know, de Blasio did run on, but he also ran on on very heavily on a message about uh, sort of lifestyle inequality, which was where Stop and Frist came in. Um, I think that the value of measuring that is less informative than, than the two Republican. Uh, Gubernatorial races we just saw. And, and that's my rant.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take the uh, opportunity to ask a couple of questions, then we'll open it up for others. <clears throat> when you look at the Democratic Party's situation right now, with 2014 looming and the Obamacare issue as it is, what is the strategy of the Democratic Party uh, for trying to? turn this around? Is there, are they literally simply at the um, helpless without a uh you know a sort of cavalry coming over the hill you know repair job on obamacare
2: um i think to to some extent yes i mean i think they're in a holding pattern right now i don't think we're going to have a clear sense of this until we've passed the november 30th deadline for fixing the website which is all you hear about um and then after that until we see what the enrollment numbers are there is no uniform strategy it's going to be very state by state targeted um some of these races are much harder than others um there is there is a resistance among senior Democrats to a lot of the analogies that are going on right now, either that this is Obama's Katrina or this is Obama's Iraq war, and that at a certain point every candidate is going to have to either decide whether to embrace it or cut bait. Um, But I think they're all aware that it could get to that point in the next couple of months.
1: Then what about the Republicans who are looking at a very much weakened Obama and may be emboldened, especially on the Tea Party side, to take that as a chance to uh, do what they've had to do before, roll back Obamacare, okay. shut the government down, do that. I mean is that a is that a thing that is genuinely for political reasons entirely off the table for the Republican Party, do no, you think?
2: No, I don't think so at all. And I think that one of the one of the key issues right now is is watching what happens with Mitch McConnell who is uh, you know in a in a very rough position in his own race in addition to having to be essentially the deal maker uh, for his party right now. Um, I don't think that he wants to see a government shutdown because it would be very problematic for himself. It would be very problematic for another a number of other Republicans. But uh, not everybody is in line with that. One one sign that you saw that I think suggests that there is some steam being lost on the on the conservative side of things. You know, the, the main group that is investing money in some of these fights is the Senate Conservative Fund, and they have. Um, gone after, you know, they, they were allied with Cruz. Cruz essentially, he, he didn't exactly disavow them, but he basically said he wasn't going to be, you know, in lockstep with them in a closed-door meeting with other senators. And that, I thought, was a pretty important signal of where you're going to see movement. If, if people like Ted Cruz, if people like Rand Paul, who handled himself very differently, obviously, than Ted Cruz during this fight, but if they do not go in line, I think you will ultimately see a deal cut, because frankly, John Boehner, who is You know, ironically, a lot of people think his position was strengthened after the the shutdown. He is not a believer in in the kind of movements that we've seen in the last year. He is not a believer in the kind of uprisings that we've seen. He was said to be very unhappy with the government shutdown. So I don't think, I think you are not going to see another effort like that. I think there's going to be an attempt to try to have unity where Republicans have struggled is eating their own. Um, And that has been an ongoing theme over the last year.
1: So let's assume, worst case scenario for the Democrats, that The House and the Senate are in Republican control after 2014. Uh, We've got a 2016 presidential election Mm -hmm. coming. Then what do you see?
2: Well, you're going to see not a whole lot getting done, frankly. I mean, the presidential I'm talking about
1: on the I'm talking about on the political presidential side. I I mean, forget legislation. I mean, that would be that would be over. It
2: becomes harder for. on the one hand, so it sort of depends on how it plays out, right? I mean essentially if you have both if you have both parties in control um, uh, or the the one party in control of both houses of the legislature, um, the whole argument for someone like a Chris Christie or a Scott Walker is being outside of Washington. Um, I think that they are going to feel their argument is only strengthened um, because it is not likely that you're going to see much more pass. The dysfunction will probably stay essentially the same. Um, I don't think that I think it is very hard to imagine a scenario right now, whether it's the one you just described or if the status quo holds, where um, the Republican Party does not make a very strong argument for the governors as its bright spot and for the governors as their their best hope for 2016. The asterisk I would make there, by the way, is that for all of the talk about potential members of Congress running for president, I I can make a very good argument why a lot of them won't. So... I could make a good argument why it's harder to see Marco Rubio running now than it was before. Uh, he has not emerged well from this year uh, by many uh, measures. Uh, Paul Ryan uh, is keeping himself in the mix, but I can make a very good argument why he won't. Uh, Scott Walker is very clearly running already and talked about this a lot last night in New York City. Um, Scott Walker
1: would be a Tea Party candidate, though, would he not? No,
2: Scott Walker would be sort of a third way between the two flanks. Scott Walker would bill himself as the guy who could bridge the gap. Chris Christie will also bill himself as the guy who could bridge the gap, but um, I think he's going to have a harder time making that case.
1: And what about on the Democratic side of the Tea Party?
2: I don't think you're (laughs) on the Democratic side if your name isn't Hillary and Clinton. I'm not sure that, (laughs) I mean, I don't, I think that Mm -hmm. there will be some kind of a challenger to her, just because there is always, you know, in in sort of the Bradley Gore model, right? I don't Mm -hmm. think that... I am not somebody who buys the Elizabeth Warren is going to launch a successful insurgence uh, against Hillary Clinton uh, theory, but I do think that Hillary Clinton will be pulled toward the left. I think that was inevitable, but and it will be on the issue of income inequality, and I think that Elizabeth Warren is a very important avatar in that respect. Um, I do not think there is going to be a primary. I think that she is going to continue to blot out the sun for President Obama, which has its own dangers for him.
1: So. What about the 2016 election,
2: then? In terms of who wins it? Yes, of course. (laughs) Wow. Um, It is, there is so much volatility right now. Um, I can make a good case why Hillary Clinton is beatable, and I can make a really good case why she's really strong. I don't know. and I'm I'm reluctant to have it here for posterity in three years to be wrong. Um, I think that look, I think Hillary Clinton, if she runs, and I, I'm I think there is still a chance she doesn't run, but I think that would be the way. Would the way she, she run, she's run not for any be. reason
1: other than health? I mean not run for any sure, reason. Sure. I think
2: health. that if I think that if you look at the numbers, I mean so a couple of things. There 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 are a bunch of super PACs um that are doing different things and outside groups. And they're working very well together on the Democratic side, and they are handling the pieces of infrastructure that she does not have. This is the first time that either she or her husband are not holding a government office of some kind in 30 years, more than that. Um, So uh, government office comes with its own natural infrastructure and insularity, and they don't have that. What they've got is their foundation, um, and they've got the stardom. Um, She has been having... They have had four months, five months, not all of it in their control... Of process stories, whether it was about Anthony Weiner and his wife, whether it was about um, Doug Band, um, Bill Clinton's former counselor and his firm, whether it was about uh, people moonlighting for that firm from Hillary Clinton's uh, World Estate Department. These are things, and then, and then you add on top of it the Benghazi noise. And so, um, you know, this is, her numbers are, are not what they were when she left as soon as she became more partisan. That was inevitable. But I think I could see a world in which in a year she looks into the abyss and it's um, she knows what it's like. She knows what a grind it is. It's much more intense now than it was even five years ago because it's a more intense media environment. And I could see her deciding that that the risk of losing twice is not worth it.
1: Let me uh, invite students first to uh, have the first crack at Maggie. If you are a student and <laughs> oh, would, like <laughs> would like to uh, like to ask her a question, uh, please <clears throat> indicate, raise your hand. <clears throat> students. Yes. Uh, going back to Carter, well, prior to Obama, every president had been the government, with the exception of George Herbert Walker Bush, who at one time aside from cyclist for
3: a presidential president the CIA, so even he brought some mm-hmm. executive experience mm-hmm. into the White House. From Carter, through Reagan, through George W. Bush, we've had ideological swings left and right, but we've always had somebody on Pennsylvania Avenue who had been an executive until now, and the narrative on the street is that sometimes it can be kind of chaotic right now in the executive branch, so does that translate into, leading into 2016, maybe a preference for a CEO or a governor uh, in a way that kind of transcends the normal ideological Mm -hmm. Rhetoric in a campaign, but simply just what are the raw of the candidate?
2: No, I mean I think that that is that is ultimately where you're going to see the the, the narrative emerge on on both sides. I mean, in terms of Hillary Clinton, that will be the, the selling point is that she has so much experience in in various capacities, including foreign policy, um, where she would be able to do the job, and that's where the that's part of why you're seeing people around her pushing pretty aggressively the idea that you know that messy campaign of '08 that. that ultimately was her doing Um, that's in the past State Department was totally functional Um, you know it it, it, none of it there was none of that infighting it didn't work the same way you know she's setting up a great foundation now Um, these these stories about the, the changes in the foundation have tended to center around one person which is an aide to Bill Clinton who doesn't work there anymore um, and that has eaten up so much of the focus on the foundation that you're actually not you're not hearing much about how it's actually working now in terms of you basically got three principles working together: Chelsea Clinton, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton. And by all accounts, there are some growing pains there. Um, but so the narrative that she can run something effectively, and that she is familiar with the global stage, is going to be what you will hear there. It is very much a hole in Chris Christie's resume, and he's very aware of it. It's a hole in most of the governors' resumes. I. Um, uh, I'm not really sure who you would point to on the Republican side, who who might run, who you could say has a lot of foreign policy experience. I think that I think that in terms of gravitas, um, Republican elites still really like Jeb Bush, and Jeb Bush sounded a little more like a potential candidate last night when he did a, an event in New York. But you know, he's also selling a book, and so um, he's going to make a very effective case that will be most appealing. Um, I think at the end of the day, Jeb Bush has had a lot of reservations about running, um, and we have yet to see whether those reservations (laughs) are going to have grown with time or are going to thin out. Um, But so I do think that, um, I think that in terms of foreign policy, and again, I don't mean to frame everything around Hillary Clinton, but since she's basically treated as the incumbent, it's hard not to. Of all of the candidates, she of everybody is going to have the hardest time running a smoke and mirrors foreign policy campaign. Um, she's going to have to take a lot of positions, and she's probably going to have to distance herself from Obama um, on some issues. Uh, I mean, the, the the one issue that is looming right now, there are many, but I mean, you saw her come out very strongly uh, in support of him on Syria. Uh, she's said nothing about Iran and the discussions that are going on right now with Secretary Kerry, and I think, I expect at some point she's going to have to say something or get asked about it, but when I've spoken to her folks, they've given no indication that now is going to be the moment when she puts daylight between herself and the President. Um, I, but I do, th- I think that I think that it's going to depend in part on the the pain people are feeling at home. I think there's little expectation that the unemployment rate is going to go down that dramatically over the next three years, and I still think that will be the premier issue. Yes. Um, my question, can you talk about the consequences to
3: Christie's political career of coming from a Fairly large state having kind of gotten a fair bit of national media coverage, but not having a conventional home state press corps, not really having a big capital press corps, sure. and sort of, and I've covered politics in Philadelphia, and I know the New York press corps similarly shares a portion of the state, but it's not the type of day in, day out coverage. Are there things that you saw in terms of the re election campaign that um, could have been shaped by not having had uh, that? Sure. Um, exposure and going forward, running a presidential campaign. What are the sort of challenges or opportunities for him in that?
2: So I think I think less so. Um, I talked about this a bit in a piece that I did recently comparing um, the Rudy Giuliani to Chris Christie because what you often hear when you leave the Northeast <laughs> corridor when you talk to social conservatives is he's just another Rudy Giuliani and. Um, uh, and he's not, he's not another Rudy Giuliani, but, and there, there, that's for better or for worse in some respects. Um, but, uh, no, there is no media market that covers Chris Christie. He has not had – no, there is a Statehouse press corps, but they are nowhere near as aggressive, I think, as Christie thinks they are. Um, his coverage is nowhere near as negative as I think he sometimes thinks it is. Um, it's been pretty positive. Um, to me, the most interesting moment in, in watching Chris Christie over the last year – um, was how he dealt with the criticism about his keynote speech at the Republican National Convention, which Mark Leibovich at, at the New York Times Magazine called his me note speech, um, and and it was it was treated as such. And so we had a we had a very large headline the next morning on a story that um, my editor in chief John Harris wrote, and it was a Christie's Christie's flop or something like that. And it was, belly flop. was it belly flop? I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if I was imagining that. that was another... <laughs> Thank you, Sasha. Um, so, um, uh, and I think that he was. Uh, I think he. I think the headline got to him for obvious reasons. But I also think that he was. There was a lot of criticism. He was. He was. There was a lot of sort of media morning show critique that the speech was poor. That the speech overshadowed Romney. That the speech was too much about Christie's re-election and his own aspirations. That it was the wrong message for. An event that is supposed to be about nominating a presidential candidate. Um, And Christie um, was very unhappy with this level of criticism. And we know that because he let many people know it throughout the day. And so he would bump into people and he would say, did you see what they said about me on, you know, like Morning Joe? And he did this in the morning and then he did this in the afternoon. And then he did this again in the evening. He was, he gave a speech at an RGA event, um, luncheon, and he talked about it. He talked about the criticism. Did you did you see what they said about my speech? What did they expect me to say? This and then the other. He gave a speech at a dinner hosted by um, a uh, uh, hedge fund executive named Paul Singer, who's a Republican mega-donor, and this was for the NRSC, I believe. And at that event, Christie started singling out another one of my bosses, Jim VandeHei, for criticizing him on Morning Joe. And the people in the room were like, why are we talking about this? this is not what I came here to hear. Um, and so I, I thought it was a very interesting moment um, for him on a much broader stage. I don't think that he is quite used to. If you compare him to Rudy Giuliani, who had many many faults, but um, he hadn't he had in fact gone through the media gauntlet in New York and um, and the tabloid gauntlet. And Christie has not had that. So I think that because of a lack of. Um, Focused media attention. I think there was some effort to on his reelect. There was an effort to talk about the money that was spent, for instance, on the the ads that, w- that was used Hurricane Sandy aid. Um, it got to the frustration of Christie's critics and folks at Emily's List and places that were the very few places supporting his opponent, Barbara Buono. They were very frustrated that there was not a lot of attention to that. Um, I don't know whether Christie realizes that, that that some of that is luck by his is. Uh, sort of falling between these two media markets or whether he thinks that it's having successfully weathered a crisis. Um, but I don't think he is fully, I don't think they fully understand what they're about to face.
3: And so. Are there things in his record either governing or personal pre-2009 that you feel never got
2: I much think, attention as they might have I think that it, I think some of the stuff did get attention in 2009 <laughs> I think that in the gubernatorial race against Corzine, there was a lot of stuff aired it's just that it it sort of snuck up on people that that race was as competitive as it was that I think it didn't get enough attention I think that a lot of it was in um, to give a plug to our pals Mark Halpern and John Heilman I mean the fact that they got that vetting book um, for in double down they got the Christie vetting document um, for vice president and this was which is, I mean, his people can rightly argue it was a pretty unbelievable breach of trust um, to have that leaked out. But, um, uh, but it pointed to a lot of this stuff. It pointed to, you know, his work as a securities lobbyist, his work, um, <coughs> his past work in law firms, his travel when he was U.S. attorney, which got a lot of attention um, and complaints, and it was the cost. And so I think that I think those things will all come back, and I don't think that those have been – he will say that all got looked at in '09 it will all get looked at again very deeply. Um, I think he's going to have to have more of an answer than it all got looked at in 2009. But I think that to the extent that his folks have expressed some frustration with double down, I think it's actually better for them that it's coming out now than later. Yeah. Yeah, curious, there's been some coverage lately that um, the business side of uh, the Republican Party and conservative businessmen are starting to get back, possibly certainly in primaries. Um,
3: and it seems like there's been a lot of media play to this, and I'm wondering how much, how valid you think that is? Good question. Of, like, are they actually going to start getting more involved in
2: primaries, or is this just a lot of talk? I think, that, I think that there are very few examples that we're talking about right now. I think that there was, a, there was what was being billed as a successful win in an Alabama primary recently. Um, there are so many individual unique factors in every single one of these primaries that it's very hard to do the, I mean, unless you're talking about a wave year like we were in 2010, um, it's very hard to take disparate factors and sort of push them over. Um, so um, I, I am um, skeptical at the moment. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I don't, I think there are too few test cases right now for them to successfully make the argument that, that the Tea Party has been has been beaten back or that people, the tide is turning. What they can say, and I think that they are trying to do, is, I mean, part of what was so frustrating for the business wing of the party during the shutdown was that they had to sit there and watch, that they couldn't effectuate change, that they were so used to being, you know, sort of dictating is not the right word, but that they were used (coughs) to having some sort of a symbiosis. And they now have candidates who can fundraise without them, um, who are playing to their home bases. Who can get media attention through unconventional ways, and who have supporters who use self-selecting media, so they don't really need them. Um, so, I think they are still trying to figure out the way forward and haven't quite yet. So, I, I am skeptical of that, but we'll see.
1: Yes. So maybe you're saying that. Just, that a, just a second, Joe. We've got one more. <laughs> um, well, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Can you talk a little bit more about how you
0: think this? Since February is the deadline for the, the next budget, talk a little bit more about how you see that playing out. Do you it happening the way
2: hopefully it doesn't happen the way it happened this time around or sort of what are the levers that you see going on there um so i'm a bit removed from that because i've been covering the elections so okay. i don't want to i don't want to um, delve too far uh, into it but i mean my, my sense from from talking to folks who are involved is that um, i think i do not think that there is going to be another shutdown i think that i think that both sides are are really really wary of it. Um, I think that it will be um, something of a disaster. But in terms of in terms of being truly predictive, I don't I don't want to give you a, a false answer and speak to something that I can't really answer. Joe. Yeah.
3: I just wanted to follow on about the um, uh, the Republican race in, in Alabama. You seem to be indicating that that
1: it didn't, it didn't create much of a ripple in the party. The fact that the business people and Tea Party people, you know, went head to head and the business folks. Won.
2: I mean, I think it was one race, and I think to the extent it didn't create much of it. I think that it it enthused the business community to keep giving more money to try to t- uh, play in primaries, and to that extent, I think it created a ripple. But I think that it's it's hard to say that um, we're seeing some insurgents among, you know, establishment candidates who are going to successfully beat back primary challengers from from the right, especially with Sort of all sorts of floating um, concerns right now. Um, I think that part of the business community's issue is not just feeling frustrated, but but actually demonstrating it with donations. And so, to the extent that groups like the Chamber of Commerce and so forth are able to get a, to galvanize support, then yes, it was helpful, and that's what they were trying to do with it. But I I, I don't think it's had more of a ripple than that. I think it was more of a, it was a in the same way that we every store every race that has to do with either gun control or anti-gun control, and we all talk about how this indicates that the one side or the other is doing fantastic, I, don't, I think that it was one race. That's all.
1: And the other, the other thing I wanted to ask you was about a um,
3: subject sort of close to both of our hearts, Andrew Cuomo. Um,
1: I, I had read, a
2: feeling that's what you were going to ask me about. <laughs> I, I, I,
1: I
3: haven't followed his governorship that closely because I was involved
1: in other things. Um, how would you rate him as governor, and what do you think is going to happen next week?
2: Um, I think that um, if we're, I, if I can rate on the you know the the, the fair fine good very good mm-hmm. scale, I think he's been a very good governor. I think especially you have to grade it on a curve and compare against what he came in after, and so mm-hmm. it was a it was a disaster, um, mm-hmm. and it's hard to overstate what a disaster it was prior to him with with Governor Spitzer and Governor Patterson. Um, I still can't believe we just had an election with Elliot Spitzer in it. I'm sorry. Um, so um, as it was coming out of my mouth, but the uh, I don't. I think he's been a very good governor. I think that he has um I think he has had mixed successes. I think the fracking issue continues to bedevil him. Um and I think that his his inability to make a decision or unwillingness to make a decision, um, for fear of displeasing one side or the other, um I think is an is um an example of a very deliberative mind, and I and, and I don't know that that's necessarily a positive thing um, in terms of uh, his his future. He will absolutely not run against I'll Hillary do the Clinton, DNA. right? Well, that's <laughs> right. So um, the uh, I think he will absolutely not run against Hillary Clinton. I don't even think there's a question about that. But candidly, I mean, I don't think he. And this is the growing sense of people you talk to in New York. I don't think he runs for president. Period. This time, um, whether he will. You know, in, if, if Democrats win in 16, would he do it in, you know, four or eight years, maybe. Um, or eight years, uh, maybe. But uh, he's, you know, he and he's, he's young enough that he could wait. But um, he is so far behind everyone else, including um, uh, someone he's worked with very closely, Kirsten Gillibrand, in terms of preparing for a national race, that I don't, and he's not, he hates retail campaigning. I mean... There there you could there are a few other candidates where you could take them and tailor them less to what you have to do in, in a national race. I mean he he the one time that he really did retail campaigning was the time that he lost against Carl McCall. And so, you know, I don't I don't think that he I don't think that it he is really into the idea of a very competitive primary where he would have to show up in New Hampshire and do town halls. I mean he does not he has That's been also in the DNA <laughs> that is true but he um, he does not um, and there is a lot in the DNA except, you know but he doesn't he doesn't have his father's oratory skills um, he he doesn't have um, his but he does have his dad's uh, engagement and and ability to have lengthy conversations in a one-on-one setting um, he, he constantly still calls reporters off the record and has an hour-long session with them um, and but he, he holds very few public Q&As. Is I he think, as sensitive as his father uh, to his d- criticism? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Handles it differently, but he is definitely as sensitive as his dad is to criticism. Yes. Um, I know that Pletico's been in kind of an expansionist mode. I, I sent you a really good education reporter. Um, oh, think, Stephanie? Yes. from you? and She's great. She's fabulous. Um, and I know you're building out in a lot of different sectors. My question is, uh, that the the right wing kind of figured out at least two election cycles ago to that they've been working at the state and local level. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that Politico has adequately addressed or is planning to address in the next cycle what's happening at the state and local level in terms of you know these that a lot of it's not in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily in a marquee race like McCulloch mm-hmm. and Cuccinelli. You know, it's out there in, in Kansas and Nebraska and places. I mean, is this something you talk about in the office? And do you have a plan for it? I don't work in the office. I live in New York City. Oh. so um, <laughs> and So I'm going to, and I, and I don't, uh, uh, I can't speak to what the expanded coverage plan is. Uh, and would be difficult anyway because I wouldn't necessarily want to get into what, what they're looking at. But I do think that they are, I think they are pretty committed um, to doing more work at the state and local level, and I think we've already seen it with Stephanie, um, is, the, is the, the quick and easy answer that I can give. But you are correct that, that, that much of where these conversations are taking place is in Washington, that's true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. You mentioned um, that uh, the ACA rollout in some of the states, we live in California, is going quite well. I think we're just mm-hmm. close to 400,000 mm-hmm. people. Um, Is there any sense that at the national level they'll get this fixed, or I'm I'm asked differently, is there any fear among the Republicans that this will get fixed in time uh, to have any uh, impact uh, on particularly 2016, less likely 2014?
2: Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't say fear. I mean, at the moment, frankly, I think Republicans have been living sort of day to day and uh, and paycheck to paycheck, as it were. So I think that um, I think that they they have gotten over. There was there was so much angst especially among GOP elites and, and more moderate lawmakers after the shutdown, that the fact that the rollout has been such a mess has been such a gift to them. So they're not really looking long term at what happens if we if this gets fixed. I do think that they're I mean look, they're you're seeing um, Legislative maneuvers that are, are so clearly not going to work, right? You're seeing Senate Democrats introduce stuff, and then you're seeing House Republicans introduce stuff that they know is not going to pass because then you know, and it's that's great and everybody wins because then the Democrats aren't let off the hook and so forth. I think that there is a risk of overdoing it um, for Republicans. It's you know, if it gets fixed, then it gets fixed, and and ultimately, this is a plan that is about getting poor people health care. So, I um, uh, I think that they are so consumed with so many other areas of their strategy both for 2014 and for 2016 that are problematic that I don't think that um, I don't think that that is one of their immediate concerns right now but in part because the White House has shown um, to be so inept at getting ahead of this so yes John
1: um, just turning to uh, foreign affairs and maybe fantasy for a moment but uh, uh, let's assume that uh, uh, Kerry and Obama come up with a reasonable Uh, deal uh, with Iran Um, and of course Netanyahu will be squawking no Mm -hmm. matter what happens Um, could this help um, the I mean by the end of the next election cycle uh, the interim elections I'm not sure that's possible but could that help Hillary or whoever is running for the Democrats I mean Americans don't understand or care about foreign policy this is
2: so critical right It's so not, it's so not where Hillary Clinton has been herself. So it's, Mm -hmm. I think that I guess all I can, I'm, I'm reluctant to get too parlor gamey on it. Um, because a a deal is, is not done and B, she has not said anything. Um, And she is running, as discussed earlier, against a field of people who don't have foreign policy experience, and I do agree with you that I think that Americans don't tend to vote on this. I mean, the last election was um, a very clear example of that, and it was perhaps a unique set of circumstances, but I don't – again, I don't expect the economic situation to be that different. Um, I think that it's – I think it is going to be very – I think this is a tricky um, prospect for Hillary Clinton, and I don't mean to be repetitive, but – that's not where she has been. She has been sort of itchy tr- trigger finger on this issue. So it's very hard for me to see. Um, you could say this helps her in the sense that this is where the party goes, but then she has to explain why she's changed her position. Um, she's going to have to uh, say something that would either be in agreement with or opposing her successor, which I don't think she wants to do anytime soon. Um, I don't think in the immediate – certainly I don't think it does anything for 2014, and in terms of 2016. I, I don't think it's – it's I don't know that it's definitional. I also am not sure that I see it as helpful. Thank
3: you. Yes. Uh, and this is maybe a somewhat similar question. For the, the next presidential election, to, to, even if most voters don't uh, focus on foreign policy, to what extent do you think for Hillary Clinton it could kind of translate into to gravitas that just that her credentials, um, uh, the, the position that she's had around the world and her fluency in, in foreign policy issues will we'll emphasize her seeing presidential, and then for some other candidates, that might almost seem quite silly and awkward when they're discussing global affairs, just because they've never had a platform to do it before.
2: Well, again, this came, look, this came up during the vice presidential vetting. I mean, a couple of the people who were looked at for the 2016 field um, were uh, seen, you know, a lack of foreign policy experience was one of the reasons that Chris Christie was knocked off the list. Um, for Romney, I think there were many other reasons, but, um, but if we're being honest, but... Um, mm but this is true for for a lot of people on the republican side there is no question that if hillary clinton is the nominee that foreign policy just as a um as a as a, an issue of gravitas will go to the democrats um the problem for hillary clinton and this is um a bit of a different point than you're asking but um you reach a point where you can uh, gravitas has never really been her problem that wasn't her that was not her problem in 2008 either um She is going to have to, um, you know, she didn't get around in Iowa, was her problem in 2008. She um, was seen as tone deaf to where the base was. Uh, And so um, her credentials, I think, are going to be pretty hard to knock uh, as a presidential candidate. I think that the problem is when you start to seem so (laughs) incredibly global that you don't seem like you can relate to people. And I think that that's going to be her challenge is sort of not seeming like she's speaking from the dais and interacting with people, which she has done before, and she did in her 2000 Senate race, and she did very well. Um, but I will say that, I mean, having, again, if he, if it, let's say Chris Christie gets asked a question about foreign policy and he muffs it, um, you know, that these things all have a, an opportunity to take off on YouTube at this point, if it's in an interview or whatever the setting is. Um, Christie's level of engagement with voters was really impressive on the trail in New Jersey. I mean, if anything could be learned from that race that's applicable going forward, it was that. Yes, sir.
3: I
1: wonder what Christie's viability would be with the conservative wing of the Republican Party, and especially after he was seen after Sandy, that weekend where he was kind of embracing Obama in a way Mm -hmm. that the conservative wing felt was beyond what was necessary in the situation.
2: I mean, so this is where the Giuliani parallel always comes in. A lot of it, I think, is, is regional. I mean, I think being a, a Northeastern Republican um, ha- always has the word, or often has the word Rockefeller in front of it, which is not really true with him. Christie has a um, <clears throat> an issue set that would be seen as Republican in almost any state, or seen as conservative in almost any state, um, were he not in the Northeast. Um, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is personality, and a lot of it is that he sort of wears the Jersey thing um, in a way that I seems unfamiliar to people. Um, he is pro-life. Um, he's against gay marriage. Um, uh, on immigration, he's been a little softer in his language, and I think that that would be used against him. Um, I think that he is never going to be the favorite of the base. He's just not. Um, so what he has to hope for is a race that looks a lot like what the one Mitt Romney ran which was is no one else competing for the moderate space, and then a field of 1,000 conservative flowers. And then he can just get enough support to get enough wins that he can carry forward. But I don't think that he is going to ever be the favorite. What he's, his, he, the risk for him is, frankly, is doing what Giuliani did, which is, I mean, Democrats are convinced that he's going to have to tack so far right to please the base that he'll never be viable in a general. And I'm not sure that that's true. Um, you know, I, his his goal is to get as dinged up as little as possible. But he's never going to be he's never going to be their choice. Yes. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the frequency that we've heard Mitt Romney kind of pop up in the last mm-hmm. since January and, and comment on various things as sort of I told you so's. Um, what, what's his end game, do you think? And also, what do the Republican team makers think of him constantly <laughs> like a jack in the box? Kind of? I mean, or, I think that. Think that they think that they they pay him respect as a party nominee. I mean, I think to put your, to volunteer yourself to go through this process is is a significant undertaking. You you also potentially get to be president afterwards. But right. I mean, I think I don't think people are sitting around waiting for the pearls of wisdom of Mitt Romney as the the way to go forward. He's. I think that. Um, uh, I think that for whatever reason he continues to like to talk he continues to like to have his name out there some people who support him have continued to offer privately the idea that he could run again in 2016 right his wife has said no right his wife has said no so i mean look it's it's not impossible it's just that you know the country doesn't tend to go backwards and it's now which is also a problem for hillary clinton but the, you know the the country doesn't tend to go backwards i don't he was not a good candidate for many 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 reasons and um, that hasn't changed. And he, what he's saying isn't different than what you're hearing a lot of either GOP elites or business leaders or so forth saying. It's not like he's charting some new path forward. Um, and unlike somebody like Jeb Bush, who the, who the party really does want to hear – or party leaders want to hear from on topics like immigration, he doesn't have you know a whole lot new to offer on that front. I mean, in his interview the other day, one of them, he talked about how he didn't do enough to appeal to, quote, minority populations. and um, uh, and I think his exact quote was, you know, one of my problems was that we, you know, we didn't do enough to appeal to minority populations. And I saw one of my former colleagues, Jonathan Martin, tweeted, I think part of the problem was nominating somebody who said words minority populations. So, I mean, he still remains for a lot of, re- you know, the Republican Party has continued to have this messaging issue um, that has not gotten addressed in any meaningful way. They did this autopsy of the election results earlier this year, and, and so little has moved forward. And among them is sort of discussing how the party even wants to appeal to new voters and and what they want to say and what message they're putting forward and making it a positive message as opposed to just we're we're against Obama and we're against whatever the Democrats want. And Romney is still offering a lot of more of the same. So I'm not sure. That, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't hear people like running in the streets saying I want to hear more from what he has to say about this. I think he's talking because. He has an audience, and I think he still feels like he has something to offer, but I've seen little indication that the party shares that view. Yes.
3: I just have a question about um, one of the unspoken issues, other than the few jokes about Christie's weight. Do you foresee any kind of possibility where the media at some point decides it's okay to start talking about this as a more overt issue, whether right or wrong, but it actually becomes something that
2: people actually talk about rather than just, you know, in the background? I mean, I think people do. I do think people talk about it, I think, but I think that it is... It is um, I think that weight is just on its own, regardless of Christie or not, is sort of remains one of the acceptable prejudices in this society that people joke about. Um, I think that for I think that there is a legitimate (coughs) health concern, and so I think you are going to hear that a lot. Um, I think you are also going to hear health concerns voiced about Senator Clinton, and so I think that the two will sort of cancel each other out to some extent. Um, I think that people miss with Christie. the extent to which talking about his weight and the fact that he has had a struggle with this makes him relatable to a a pretty broad section of the country. Um, he, um, no I didn't mean intended. it that way. <laughs> it's, impo- it's impossible. You can't, it's not. It's not. It's not intentional. Anyway, I um, so I um, I think that the the issue, part of the issue for Christie now, is that he has. Acknowledge that his weight is a legitimate topic By talking about it and also by having lap band surgery And uh, he tried to keep the lap band surgery a secret I don't know how they thought that was going to stay a secret I think they just wanted to keep it a secret as long as they could He has lost some weight He has said he's halfway to his goal um, I don't know what his goal is They put out a doctor's note saying that you know he's in good he's in good health They said he's lost weight They didn't say what he weighed before or what he weighs now um, It will become a legitimate non-jokey topic, um, because the health of a, of a, I mean, in the same way that McCain's health was an issue um, in 2008, uh, and McCain had to release medical records, and he had gone through cancer and so forth. Um, the thing with Christie is that people are going to look at how much weight he's lost, and I think that that is going to become a topic of conversation. Um, and and then how people feel about that will be up to them. But yes, I do think it's going to be an issue. You know,
1: but I mean, to go, I mean, whether it becomes a health issue or a serious question, the very fact that he can be ridiculed in this, in this particular area mm-hmm. is going to put him in a very vulnerable position, it would seem to me, because, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what the comics are going to do with this. Well, and,
2: they do it already. I mean, he, he very famously, I mean, Letterman goes nuts on this, not infrequently, and Christie went and sat on Letterman's couch and pulled a donut out of his pocket and started eating it to mock himself. Mm-hmm. And so to your question, if he can maintain, I mean, I, I don't know that I would do that, during a presidential race, uh, but if he but if he can maintain that that approach, which is being lighthearted about it and recognizing that people are going to, you know, either talk about it or whatever, um, the problem is if it becomes more like how he handled the criticism about the speech at the RNC and gets very angry about. Um, the focus on it. So, for instance, right after he had the, I think it was right after he had the lap band surgery, or maybe it was right before, at some point earlier this year, there was a discussion about his weight and a former White House physician who was extremely well-respected and and liked by her former colleagues said publicly she was afraid that he was a heart attack risk. Um, And he, he said publicly at a press conference that she ought to shut up, which is what it is, and his argument was, you know, I don't want my kids hearing about me potentially dying. But he then called her and yelled at her. And that seemed excessive. And so I think that I think at some point he's gonna to have to recognize that he's not gonna be able to control a lot of this conversation and the extent to which he can he cannot have it you know become such a negative I think will matter. Yeah.
1: If we get an agreement with Iran despite the blow up in Beirut come twenty sixteen will it be long out of Iraq out of Afghanistan, besides sidestepped an intervention in Syria, and we have some sort of an agreement with Iran. This will make it easier, I would think, for Hillary Clinton to inherit this peacemaking presidency, which is a total contrast with George W. Bush. And yet uh, the peacemaking aspects of this presidency don't seem to uh, aid the image of Obama. I'm curious.
2: I think that's I think that's definitely true um but I think that um to the extent that voters don't tend to vote on foreign policy, you know uh, depending on the circumstance, I also think that voters are going to remain and not to be repetitive, but voters are going to remain preoccupied with the state of their own lives um, here uh in three years during the election. I do think that Hillary Clinton will have um a more peaceful world to inherit, and I think that that will be important, but I think that i am i am not i think that it's Hillary Clinton has actually gotten pretty decent um, headlines since she left the State Department, considering um, if you remember what the coverage was like in 2008, it was, it was pretty aggressive. Um, but for I think that she, as I said earlier, I think she's going to be in less of a position to maintain sort of a neutral um, inheritance stance going into 2016. She's going to have to talk a lot about how she feels about and where she stands. She made clear about it on Syria. Publicly, but privately, folks close to her, um, you know, suggested she was she thought Obama had waited too long to get involved in Syria. Um, so, I mean, I don't think she's going to be able to just sort of inherit it. She's going to have to shape it to some extent uh, in what she says publicly, and I think that's going to become complicated.
1: Among the yeah, Peter, um,
0: let, let me p- just ask a question on
1: on the president. Uh, make a case. Uh, that everything's going to turn out well for him? I mean, we're in the middle of this firestorm, but right? right. You know, obviously uh, Ronald Reagan went through a firestorm sure. and President Stuville go through a firestorm. Uh, what would the case be that uh, things are going to turn out well for
0: him?
2: Uh, so. um, I mean, I think that the case, the, the, the best case scenario uh, for things turning out well for him uh, is... So I have, uh, two, I have two answers to that. One is um, the website gets fixed relatively soon. Um, Obamacare is a success, um, or ACA as we are now calling it more frequently. Um, uh, I think that if it, an agreement goes through with Iran and is you know, upheld and, and Netanyahu is not too much of a loud critic, um, uh, the unemployment rate, ticks back down again. I don't think that there's a huge hope that it goes below 7, but if it did, that would be ideal. Um, And some form of immigration reform gets passed, even if it's a stripped-down version of the Senate bill. I mean, I think that if one of the interesting things that Jeb Bush said last night in New York was that he expects um, and he indicated, I don't want to misrepresent what he said, but he indicated that this was from, you know, I've been talking to Boehner, that he thinks that some stripped-down version would pass in this frame. And um, uh, if that's so, I'm not sure how helpful that is to Boehner to have that said out now um, as he's trying to get votes. But if that's true, I think that's a major accomplishment for the President. Um, so I think that's the best-case scenario. I think the other best-case scenario, frankly, is that there is some kind of a, chal- a credible challenge to Hillary Clinton from the left um, that kind of makes clearer that Obama was... Uh, a progenitor of a new progressivism, as opposed to sort of sandwiched between two Hillary Clinton presidencies in an, in an incredibly impressive historic fashion.
1: One of the things Peter has talked about uh, also is the possibility of a genuinely emerging independent third party mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. especially in local and state sure. elections. Conditions are right. So what do you think? Is that something that could have legs or is it a
2: you're talking to somebody who has spent 12 years watching Mike Bloomberg trial balloons come up, so I'm, I tend to sort of glaze over at it. But I, but I do think that Peter's right, that I think that the conditions are, are right for it. I, but I, I don't see it on a national level. Um, I do think that at a local level you could see it, but it's very hard to do unless you are a self funder I, re-
1: I saw something, I think I saw it on Politico just a couple of days ago, that someone recently won an election running as a Whig. <laughs> I didn't see that on Politico so that's news to me um,
2: I think that the look I mean the, the, the throw the bums out mentality has never been higher at almost every level um, so I do think that it's possible I don't think it's possible for the presidential election I can't see anybody who would, who would fill that void right now yes um,
3: I was wondering how you make sense of the sort of what seems like an increased metabolism of interest in the 2016 race at this point which Um, especially given how slow the 2012 primary season was to sort of cohere. And is this just a matter of media interest chasing its own tail to people? seems like on an almost daily basis there's news, polling, speculation on 2016. Or is there a commensurate activity happening Beneath the surface, the surface either with candidates or outside groups that sort of justifies this as a like 2013 news story.
2: There's actually more. It's funny. There's more activity, and it's a really good question. I think that it is. I think it's. I think it has been primarily uh, tail chasing uh, until now, um, and, and really on the. I mean, especially where the Hillary Clinton stuff is <coughs> concerned, unhelpful to Obama. Um, I think that uh, because it just lame ducks him um, at a faster pace. I think that in terms of actual activity, um, there's really (coughs) only sort of um, two poles, which is um, you've got Christie's people making very clear that he is running, and he's about to become the RGA chairman, and you'll see him run around. And on Hillary Clinton's side, she's actually doing extremely little other than raising money for her foundation, which which puts her back in contact with donors pretty frequently. But there's also these pieces of infrastructure on the Democratic side <coughs> that are cropping up and that are legitimate to cover, and it's not just you know, a bunch of super PACs that are cashing in on her name. These are people who are working together and who are handling different pieces, different media components, different list-building components, different fundraising components um, that I do think justifies coverage because I think that a Hillary Clinton candidacy would be historic, and I think that it's acceptable. Um, but I think that the... Um, I don't sense the deep level of interest from the public um, that we all have.
1: Will the Obama machine be available to Hillary?
2: Define the Obama machine. The machine, the machine (laughs) that
1: managed to outsmart the Republican Party. In uh, terms of organizing and local, uh, right. local voter turnout and all kinds of other things. I, th- the I think
2: the short answer is no, um, because I think that a bunch of um, and then the, the the short the the less short answer to that is that a bunch of the consultants who did Obama are not going to work for her, um, and Jim Messina, who managed Obama's campaign, is at the moment talking to uh, Priorities USA about which was the outside Obama super PAC that he had a very. Rough relationship with himself um, uh, that will reemerge as a Hillary force um, the the people who did um, data analytics for there are some people who worked on data analytics and Sasha knows this far better than anybody in this room um, uh, have formed their own companies and these are now for profit entities um, they have all kind of gone off into different directions some some strains of that data have a shelf life and these are they are race specific. So, um, I think that what's the best case in a, a scenario for Hillary Clinton is that she a starts realizing she needs to set up some kind of a um, an infrastructure sooner um, on this front, and and uh, number one and number two realizes she needs to have some kind of a social media presence, which has been I mean, her tweets are so strange, and they need to they need to deal with that. Um, but also the fact that the Republicans are so vastly behind still will be going into 2014, and I think will not be much improved for 2016, as her best case. Uh, last, last question. Are
0: we witnessing the death of the American two parties by a thousand cuts?
2: I feel like we have a version of that conversation every couple of years. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 it would have to be like a million cuts in order to actually die. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. But I do think that the disgust with Washington is so unbelievably high, that the conditions are certainly possible. I just don't see who takes up that helm. If you look at it, the person who tried to do that in 2012 was, you know, Mr. No Labels, John Huntsman, and that didn't exactly go so well. Well,
0: not so. not so much as as an electoral force. That is some entity running for mm-hmm. as an organized interest but rather sort of from the infrastructure point of view. Boehner has no party influence. Congress has stripped the parties. You've already mentioned that the mm-hmm. whole Tea Party is mm-hmm. being fueled by outside money. Hillary's now have to will build her own independent mm-hmm. stuff, Citizens United. All the things that the party used to do.
2: I think that until you have, I mean, there are certainly, yes, there are the, the, the parties have been so incredibly stripped down as parties, but that's been going on for several yeah. years now and so, and and just sort of completed a... Downward spiral pretty fast in the last couple of years, and especially at the DNC, frankly, where Obama moved a lot of the power center away. Um, But that, until unless unless we are talking about either legislative maneuvers, which would require specific groups, or (coughs) electing a third-party candidate, um, there's not much else for them to get behind. So no.
1: Maggie Haberman, thank you very much. Thank Thank you.